Kia ora. Welcome to 168 Days of Magic. This is the podcast that invites you to empower your creative spirit and get stuck into a project that nourishes, nurtures and excites you. Each episode, we'll be looking at how mindfulness, productivity and creativity all come together to give you the power, stamina and resilience to bring something new into the world. My name's Jordan Harcourt-Hughes and I'm an artist living on New Zealand's stunning Kapiti Coast, which is just an hour north of Wellington. I'll be your host and creative champion on this journey and I'll also be introducing you to some other wonderful people along the way, including some of our other local artists, wellbeing practitioners and life coaches to help us on our journey. Welcome to episode seven of the podcast. Today on the mindfulness front, I'm gonna be talking about mindful storytelling. My podcast chat is with the incredible Kush Reed, and on the creativity front, I'm going to be talking about my own creative project and where I'm up to with one of my illustrations. So today, from a mindfulness perspective, I just wanted to talk about storytelling. So if you're doing a creative project, you might be looking at a writing project And a writing project can be anything from a novel to a collection of short stories. Uh, You may be looking at doing a screenplay, um, or you may just be looking at creating a journal for six months. And so you may be deciding that you're going to spend 10 minutes every day, maybe in the morning or the night, uh, working on a journal that is a reflection of your life uh, and possibly your life story. And mindfulness is about being present And so mindful storytelling is being present with our own story. So I wanted to talk about the ways that we can actually lose our personal story in the current time, uh, how we can get our stories back, and how we can explore, expand, and evolve on our own story. It's my opinion that uh, many of us never come face-to-face with our own most meaningful stories, And it's largely because of the distraction factor. So we're pretty good at consuming stories. So we can watch Netflix for hours and hours at a time. And I'm no different. I love having a good sprint, just being completely absorbed by some other story other than my own. But understanding our own story means that we have to sit quietly with ourselves and we have to be able to put aside everyone else's story and reflect on our own. And that can be daunting at times. That's not the easiest thing to do, but it is powerful and it is meaningful. And there is a time that it's right to just shut out or dial down everyone else's story, all the other stories that you hear out in the world, all the other stories of fiction, uh, of hyperactivity that we see in things like action movies where it's just go, 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 and just sit quietly and reflect on what our own story is. One of the things I think is that our own stories become a low priority because there are so many other ways that we're measured and how we, and there are so many other ways in which we're accountable to other people. And no one really asks quite often to hear our deepest story. So we've got bosses, our trainers, our accountants, our staff, our kids. Uh, they demand our time, our energy, our attention. But few will demand that we actually take the time to get to know our own stories. And if there's no demand, there's actually no visible punishment if this chore gets left undone. So we leave it undone, we push it to the side. We're so heavy with exhaustion that we choose to rest over everything else. But I'm not entirely sure that resting in that way is particularly peaceful. So we go from busyness to distraction to fitful slumber, and we can become a little bit like a sleepwalker, just doing what's required of us. So mindfulness is about really 
putting aside the busyness, putting aside the distractions and taking time to maybe pick up the pen or pick up a microphone. So if you're looking at a storytelling project, if you don't think that you're good at sitting and writing, then think about what you're listening to at the moment. Can you put a microphone in front of yourself? Can you get a recording app on your phone and talk it out. I think talking it out is a wonderful kind of storytelling. And it may be that your creative project could be a podcast about your personal story, or it could just be you creating some audio notes on your phone every day for six months or once a week or once a month. And even that will be incredibly powerful and it's easy and it's not expensive. It just takes time and it requires us to be in a space where we're actually able to sit with our our stories. Finding a space to tell our personal stories, to reflect on them, evolve them, and create new stories about the kind of future we want to have can be life-enhancing and actually, I think, quite magical. So I think the secret is being able to give your story a place in your world where it can't be pushed aside, where it's seen as important, and it's seen as an ever-evolving, ever-expanding story. So your story can give you sustenance, energy, it can recharge your batteries when you think you've given everything that you've got, So if you're looking at a creative project that's about storytelling, then a really simple thing to do is to sit down, grab a pen and write just one paragraph. Who are you in this moment in time? And I suggest that you do it really quickly. You don't think too much about it uh, because that's when you start doing that kind of logical overthinking that we're all prone to do. Just literally sit, give yourself five minutes. What is my story in this present moment? So why, uh, how, so how do we explore, expand and evolve our own story? So I think storytelling helps begin the process of change because it puts us as the storyteller in the middle of our world with active power to continue the story and to say what happens next. How amazing is that? Let me say that again. Storytelling begins the process of change because it puts us as the storyteller in the middle of our world with the active power to continue the story and to say what happens next. Stories diminish fear. Recounting the story of our own lives, both to ourselves and others, can help us to reflect on our experiences, uncover the meaning of certain events, and share our wisdom with others. It can be a calming, meditative process, and it can also help others to open up. We all seek to know that we're not alone in our journey, and others may have experienced what we have. They may have something to add or to share that connects with our story. We're not the only ones uh, on the planet having these experiences, and I think storytelling is a wonderful way of opening ourselves up for connection. Stories are also cathartic. They don't need to just be about adventures, journeys, good times and road trips. Often the most powerful stories are the ones that allow us to confront the hard things in life. So when it comes to storytelling for healing, stories don't have to follow a certain style. They don't need to provide the answers. So they may be short or long without dramatic structure. They can be completely messy. This is a story for you. So your mindfulness practice is about you and your sense of being in the world and being in the moment. You don't have to do this for anyone else. No one ever has to see your story, but this is a process of connecting with your own journey in your own time and in your own space. Stories can be private, personal creations that are tools for our own reflection, growth, enjoyment and pleasure. They're worth protecting and being proud of and keeping them just for you uh, when you feel like it's the right thing to do. 
So stories can help us understand what we need, but it might not come immediately. So you may need to tease out a few things in your stories. And I think one of the things about just turning up and seeing what happens is that we're open. We're not trying to completely control the storytelling. We're just sitting, seeing what the pen does, seeing what our hand does, seeing what comes to mind. This is one of those intuitive practices that I love so much because we can just write and then look at it later and maybe find some gems in there when we're in a different headspace. But you know, sometimes when we start these writing projects, it can take a while to get into the swing of it, to get comfortable, for things to flow. So if you are doing a mindful storytelling project, just give it time. I recommend that you just relax into it, don't have too many expectations and just enjoy the process and see what happens. So if you're ready to get creative, the 168 Days of Magic Studio Program kicks off in February. You can book for that on my website. I'd love to have you with us here in the studio. The Studio Program is a six-month journey that combines mindfulness, creativity and productivity, much like the podcast. The benefit is that you get to come and play in the studio and work on your own creative project or side hustle over a six-month period. So check that out on the website, jordanharcourthughes.com. It would be great to have you here. So today I'm talking with naturopath Kush Reed. Kush, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's great to have you. You're a highly qualified wellness practitioner. You're a naturopath, nutritional therapist, herbalist, uh, gene analysis practitioner, certified gluten practitioner, and body talk practitioner. What does a day in your professional life look like? Well, I think I missed a couple of things. I'm also <laughs> a neuromuscular therapist um, along the way. And I did that um, specifically for nine years. So what does my day look like? It's varied. So I guess um, I have entire days where I don't see clients face-to-face, which since COVID has all been over Zoom. And that is so I keep up with the paperwork because it's really, really important. Um, So every day my clinic will start with my own self-care routine because if I don't look after me, I can't give to anyone else and so you know that routine will be I'll prepare my breakfast and my lunch um, I'm gluten sensitive celiac whatever you want to call it um, I find that if I eat in a hurry it doesn't serve me I don't enjoy the food and it won't sit well in my gut so I need that time in the morning so for me I'll spend about 40 minutes in the morning when I first get up. I start with warm water and I'll drink about three or four cupfuls before I sit to eat my breakfast. And that's while I'm preparing my breakfast. And I always make my lunch at the same time. The reason for that is whether I'm staying home or going out, I need that lunch. And it's better for me to have it readily available because then I'll eat something high quality Mm. and good rather than just snack out on something that probably isn't giving me a balance Mm. or the good energy then I'll do some stretching I do like a moving meditation so a moving meditation for me can be anything ranging from you know a walk around my garden to now that I live in beautiful Otaki a walk on the beach I'm not good at the sit still thing so the moving meditation is much better I love the sunrises I love Mm. the sunsets um, then 
I'll walk into my clinic. I clinic from home, so it's it's very, very good for me. So every client who comes into me, they're that unique biochemical individual. There's no cookie cutter in my mm. clinic. Everybody is different. And because of that, everyone comes in with a, a unique set mm. of um, needs requiring their own interventions. You know, I can't just churn out the same old, same old for, for every person because everyone has a story to tell and um, I think it's very important that you tailor your approach to fit. You know, I've been in this industry for like two decades mm. now, more than, and I think, what, I think the thing I've learned over all of that time is that, you know, no two people are the same and I can't emphasise that enough to new grads coming through as well, that you have to look at who sits in front of you and what their experiences are. So, you know, I have a really broad skill set and I will often draw on all of it. I mean, I've done co-counselling. I'm not a trained counsellor. I'm a very good listener. Mm. And sometimes that's all people need. Mm. They just need someone to listen and witness their story. Um, I also, I, I gather information before appointments. So... This would be like I ask people to like fill in a, a form in your patient form. I'll get them to do an online questionnaire, send me their food journal. And I actually sit and go over all of that before I speak to them. Because if I've got that information in mind, when I speak to them, I can be more direct in where, we, where it's pointing me. So it's not a differential diagnosis by any means. It just helps. It, mm. it just makes a difference. And it allows me to be really present with them when I speak to them. Um, for every hour I spend face to face, I probably spend the equivalent time in the background mm. doing doing um, work alongside of um, the information they've given me, designing and writing protocols, and that can be all aspects. That's you know the lifestyle, the nutritional, uh, the nutraceutical, that supplements or herbal um, formulations. Um, the emotional mental component, uh, physical, you know, what their needs are, do they need to exercise, do they need to move, do they need to stretch, um, their spiritual, their meditation, your yoga, mm. their prayer, their connections, and the social, you know, loneliness, it's a huge problem. Mm. And so I look at all of those aspects and I try to coach within each of those. But you've got to meet the person where they are. Mm. So that requires the thinking. So, you know, it, I think, you know, I didn't come into being a naturopath to help other people. I actually did this for my own son. And, you know, I, I treat other people by default. My son is, um, he's now an adult, but when he was just six weeks old, I picked up there was something different. I have a child who's on the spectrum. Mm. And he was kind of like, oh, six weeks old, roll over, tick, cross that off my list, don't need to do it again. And I'm like, why isn't my baby doing that again? Yeah. You know, just looking at all of that. For a long time I I wouldn't see these children in my clinic and not that I had anything against them, it's just that I lived it yes. and that was enough. Yeah. Now that he's, you know, well grown, I happily assist people with these kids in my clinic. And I think it's very important that when you do that, you're looking not only at the child but the parent, the wider family as well. Mm. And when you say to me, you know, what's a day in my professional life look like? I think I'm, I'm really looking at the big picture, mm. you know, the whole. Wow. And it takes time and energy to do yeah. that. So, 
it's kind of yeah, intricate in. and detailed and complex. Yeah, well, you know, if you look at what Asperger's kids are, intricate, detailed and complex, yeah, yeah you don't have an Asperger's kid by accident. It's in you as well, so, yeah. you know. So. Wow. And that detail is what has, um, I think it's made me so successful in what yeah. I do. amazing. Yeah. Mm. So when it comes to women and their health, are there any things that you consistently see in your clients when they come to you asking for help? Oh, definitely. Yep, stress. Mm. Stress is the great undoer. You know, 150 years ago, stress happened to bridges, not people. Yeah. And and now we have this thing where we have ongoing persistent stress. So, like, we used to have a stress, it would come, it would dissipate, yeah. and life would return to normal. Now we have stresses that come, and they are constant. Mm. And that really erodes health. It, 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 it's... Um, you know, you've got women uh, juggling too many roles at once. So, you know, they're in the modern world. So, you know, these toxins, phytoestrogens, um, you know, food, um, makeup, cleaning products, you know, they all contain things that aren't good for our health and can be um, hormone disruptors. Um, women are juggling family. So they've got their personal diary, their work diary, their children's diary partner's diary and they're trying to coordinate mm. all of that at the same time they're working full-time managing a household so the cooking the cleaning the laundry the homework and they also I think women tend to more than the the male way of thinking is women tend to look at the bigger picture mm. so they tend to know what's coming they tend to know that in three weeks you know we've got grandma's birthday and we need to get this done and this done because we're away that weekend mm. and they kind of know that in you know um, two weeks time schools you know going to be breaking out for the holidays and they've got to juggle what are they going to do for the children mm. for that fortnight period in amongst that they've got these other family commitments so I think there's an awful lot of pressures mm. on women and in, in in the modern world and the thing is about stress is it impacts hormones at that really base level because stress produces cortisol cortisol is a hormone cortisol will steal pregnenolone which is um, uh, the mother hormone instead of letting that run down the um, reproductive pathway it'll go down the stress hormone pathway and before you know it you've got women who are facing um, a rough ride through menopause or struggling with infertility because too much stress has mm. undone their health and it, it just doesn't serve us stress mm. causes inflammation mm. inflammation is the cornerstone of disease and you know it then on top of that a lot of us end up in sedentary jobs where we sit all day yes. long which makes it worse again yes. and in amongst all of that these women are expected to care for themselves mm. and often that's at the bottom of the list of priorities mm. they really aren't putting themselves as number one they need to be top of the list mm. and they're often not you know yeah yeah so yeah. that's wow yeah so um, you learned human science, disease processes and biochemistry at Waikato Institute of Technology. Um, so you've got a really great understanding of the orthodox approach to health and a good science-based knowledge and qualifications. Do you think that the, uh, the gap between traditional medicine and natu natural and complementary practices is narrowing? Yes, I do. I, I do. Um, 
I, I mean, it's, it's common knowledge. It takes about 20 years for anything, any new scientific discoveries to trickle down into actual practice. You know, it takes time. And we're seeing it now. Um, I'm seeing now that more and more, for example, GPs are aware of what a probiotic is mm. and the value of that. Um, and we're seeing um, people like Rongan Chatterjee in the UK. He's the um, GP who did uh, Doctor in the House, not in the comedy as in the um, me- medical GP. And he has a... a desire a goal to share this with so many millions of people and he's training other gps in integrative wellness Mm. and that's all about looking at the mental the emotional the physical the spiritual the social you know people don't necessarily need a prescription for a pill sometimes they need to have their story heard Mm. they need someone to validate them they need some companionship. It might be that they need to meet up with a group of like-minded people, mm. you know. And he's done studies showing how this has impacted and made positive impacts. Mm. You know, it might be that instead of, um, you know, heading for a surgery, someone could actually work with their physiotherapist or an extremely well-trained um, personal trainer and overcome an injury and recover from it instead of reaching, you know, for that instant fix mm. and I think we live in an instant world and yes. you know these GPs I think they have been uh, GPs in particular and specialists but GPs in particular they've been done a disservice in that they are expected to have 10 minute appointments mm. and make huge decisions yes. on the on the fly yeah. and I think that's really it's tough on them and how can they possibly be expected to do a really good job mm. when they're given that? And so along come support services like counsellors, like um, green prescription trainers, like nutritionists who can actually support mm. them. And more and more we're seeing them referring out, which mm. is a wonderful thing to see. So working collaboratively. So to answer your question, yes, I do think the gap is narrowing and I think that... What I would like to see is is more and more GPs having like a nutritionist in house mm-hmm. and having you know a counsellor in house. So there's yes. whole integration. Yeah. So, yeah, lovely. Now you say that you use a functional a functional medicine <coughs> approach to your clinical practice. Can you explain what that means and what it looks like for your clients? Okay, so so the functional medicine it, it it's based on what I'd call the five pillars of health. So the five pillars in my world are digestion, blood sugar regulation, mineral balance, fatty acid balance, hydration, Mm -hmm. and that's underpinned by a nutrient-dense whole foods diet. So if you get these things balanced, the body will start to work Mm -hmm. as it's meant to. And that... Functional medicine, it's about supporting the body to function optimally. Mm. It encompasses um, functional testing and protocols in response to the functional test results. So, for example, um, someone will bring in a food journal and um, you can, you know, look at that food journal and you might see beautiful 
food 100% organic and it's just beautifully cooked and mm. everything else but if they can't digest it properly yes they're not absorbing the nutrient or they're not absorbing the nutrients from it that's not going to mean that 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 is going to mean that they're not functioning properly mm. so the only way to tell that is to actually do a stool test see if they're digesting up that food and, you know, if I've got someone who's eating really, really well like that and they come to me and they say, oh, gosh, you know, I'm, I'm very, very tired mm. or for some reason, you know, I've got dreadful abdominal pain or I've got, you know, gas and mm. bloating or diarrhoea oscillating between that and constipation, you kind of you got to dig and look mm. for it. So I do a lot of functional testing. Um, yes, I use supplements, but I'd rather test and make sure that People get exactly what they need mm-hmm. versus, oh, yeah, that'll do, mm. um, you know, on, on a guess basis, you know. Digestion's the core foundation of health. So if you've got your digestion right, you can help the rest of it to come into balance. If you've got your digestion right, you'll uptake the minerals from your food so that'll come into balance. You'll uptake the, the fats from your food so that'll come into balance. You'll, you know, absorb your water um, if you're eating a good whole foods diet and digesting it well, your blood sugars won't be out of control. And I think that if you look at nutrition first, before reaching for supplementation, because supplementation is meant to be something that is in addition to mm. a good diet anyway, I think that, that is key. If, if someone does one thing, it's address what the putting on the end of their fork on a daily basis you have to remember that you build healthy cells every single day you're turning over your cells so everything that's on the end of your fork that's you're eating is going towards building those cells so do you want to build your cells from you know a beautiful piece of broccoli you know or a piece of um, meat or if, um, maybe tempeh if you're vegetarian um, or do you want to build your cells from, say, for example, you know, a deep-fried chip? You know, you, you've got to look at that, or a bagel or, or something like that. So it's about having that balance, and I think people aren't taught. They're mm. not taught nutrition. You know, people have very skewed views on what a good diet is because we've had so many fads come out mm. through the years, and people can put anything on YouTube... They can put, you know, um, anything on a website. And just because it's printed and on the internet doesn't mean that it's mm. true. And I think we have to do a due diligence mm. and we have to look for the science behind it. So, you know, I, I, th- I think that that's, um, that's about functional medicine and, and about um, functional testing. Mm. Has that answered your question? Yeah, I think it's fascinating. Now, one of your areas of expertise is gene analysis. How does that relate to our well-being? And how do you get people to engage with it? Because it seems an abstract thing, and I'm assuming not many people really understand what it's about. Well, you'd be really amazed at how many people take it up, to be honest. So let's look at the distinction between functional testing and genetics. So gene analysis, and we're not testing every single gene in the human um, biome but we are testing um, about 60 odd genes when you test the genes you're looking at the potential somebody has okay 
So just because they have that potential, they've got to give it the environment to manifest, mm. right? When you do functional testing, you're looking at what's happening now. Mm. So someone in their, in their genes might have a potential to over-inflame, mm. but when you run a blood test to look at inflammation, oh, gee, there's none going on, it's because they haven't given it the environment. Mm. Or it could be the other way around. They might have the potential for... Um, High homocysteine, homocysteine's a corrosive in the arteries. The environment that they've given it, so their, their food, their um, quality of air, their exercise, stress, it can all impact it. And so then they might find that their homocysteine's really, really high on a functional test. And there are ways to mitigate that. So it, it's about um, looking at that analysis and, and intervening appropriately, but you never ever look at one particular mm. gene um, SNP, uh, so a SNP is a single nuclear um, peptide. You never look at one, you look at them in groups. Mm. So you know, there'd be a group of um, inflammation ones, for example. And you look at how these SNPs interact with each other within that group. So you can look at, you know, your inflammatory genes, for example, and some will cause others to um, ramp up further and some will dampen others down. So, you know, you can look at that um, gene picture and see, you know, do you over-inflame? Are you able to anti-inflame? What are your vitamin D receptors doing? Because vitamin D is huge in inflammation. Mm. So when I look at genetics in the um, clinic, we'll run this test and it covers about six areas. So inflammation, cell defense, so that should detoxification pathways, mm. um, your vitamin D metabolism, methylation and homocysteine metabolism. You hear a lot about methylation. Methylation's about, um, in a nutshell, about energy production. And there's a lot of um, side offshoots of that, like pyrroles and things like that. Um, cardiovascular health, fat metabolism, and cholesterol regulation. You can understand from your gene picture what your caffeine intake is doing for you, mm. What what how much caffeine you can process in a 24-hour period or um, what foods work well for you and what don't. What form of exercise works for you, whether you're someone who needs to do high-intensity training or whether you're really someone who needs gentle walking with active recovery like spa, sauna, massage mm. as opposed to full-on hard out all the mm. time. So I think... The, um, the genes are really great. Like for me, I looked at this again because of my son. Um, with him being on the spectrum, I wanted to have a look and see what I could do to help him. And I remember sitting in this seminar years ago and the, the guy who was presenting it was talking about how women with this particular gene picture, and I was looking at it going, oh, yeah, got that one, got that one, got that one. <laughs> how if they are under stress at the time of their pregnancy and deficient in, um, especially in the B vitamins, how they can produce an Asperger's child. And I just sat there, and I, mm. or a child on the autism spectrum, I sat there with tears running down my face because someone had finally explained wow. what happened and why my two boys were so different. Wow. And so... I think that was when I started digging into it and I wanted to help my kid as mm. much as I could. And so, you know, I looked into it and I looked at, you know, um, what his inflammatory pathways were. And at the same time, I looked at my own. And so I can talk more about mine rather than his. Um, 
so in looking at mine, I understood why when I exercise and I injure myself, I took longer to recover all mm. the time because my tendency is to overinflame. My vitamin D receptors aren't great. So I know that for me, I've got to keep my vitamin D levels up. And then I got the distinction between whether I can convert 25-hydroxy vitamin D, which circulates in the blood, to the active form of 1,25-hydroxy vitamin D. And so I learned from that that actually my conversion rate wasn't so great. Mm. However, I can clear it well. So because I could clear it well, I knew that I was safe to supplement myself. And so that made a difference to my inflammation. So, Mm. you know, it's about recognising what your body's capable of and mitigating the impact of those genes that are overexpressing and encouraging the ones that are underexpressing so mm-hmm. that you can actually function better. Hence, mm. I do both yeah. the gene testing and the functional. Kush, what's body talk? I love body talk. Mm. Okay, body talk works on the mind body connection, it uses a biofeedback system, so like a, a yes no almost a muscle test but not a, not a muscle strength test but a yes no test and you work through a framework so you have a framework so I have a chart and you go through it getting yes no answers to get to things it does require intuition on my part I think if we take it back two steps how did I get into body talk mm. I got into body talk for a couple of things one is I was a neuromuscular therapist for many many years which means that I massaged into trigger point therapy and um, and then I had an accident in my kayak and overnight um, I could no longer stand in horse riding stance to do the massage and I had really injured myself and it took quite some time to recover from that injury so I went oh I need to get my hands on people because my hands my my hands burn I just want to touch people it's just amazing and so around the same time or not long after this my sister died and I loved her very dearly. Mm. And I came back from her funeral and I thought, mm, I just, I couldn't face going to clinic. And I had my own clinic, I had it set up, I had mm. you know, a receptionist. I, I kind of went, oh gosh, what am I going to do? So what I did was I thought, oh, body talk. That, that little um, three and a half day course, I'll go and do that little course <laughs> and see, see um, how it goes. That, that'll help me get back into mm. it, you know. Well, I mean, I obviously wasn't thinking clearly because three and a half days is not a short course. Um, I ended up having 12 body talk sessions over those three and a half days. I cried so much that I must have, um, I I looked very red-eyed the whole time. But I walked into that body talk course and when I walked in there, there was a big hole at my feet every morning when I got out of bed. You know, I I was broken. My sister, I loved Mm. her so much. When I walked out of that course... That hole was gone. Mm. I got up. The day after I got back from that course, I walked back into clinic and I was totally functional again. Mm. And so I thought, this is powerful. And I spent Mm. a year embedding it and learning it and doing more and more before I brought it into clinic. Mm. And then once I brought it into clinic, you know, it has so many applications. So, you know, I've used body talk with patients who have um, depression and they've found great benefit. I've used body talk with um, people who have um, autoimmune conditions and they've experienced great benefit. I've helped people who have emotional traumatic blocks and they've experienced great benefit. So it has a lot of applications. Mm. Um, you can body talk a situation. You might have a, I don't know, a, a workplace which is, you know, they've got um, 
a lot of conflict or something, you can body talk that workplace mm. and um, you know resolve some of those conflicts. Mm. So for me, it's a way to make that mind-body connection with people. I do say to people that if they have body talk sessions alongside of their other protocol that I advise, we do make faster progress mm. because you're helping the body. So it can mm. be something as simple as linking organ to organ or as complex as a, you know, a family or workplace matrix, you know, or emotional trauma. So it's done very simply. People just come, they're fully clothed, remove their shoes preferably, lay on my treatment table and um, I just, you know, use their hand as a yes-no and it does involve tapping when you get the... Um, what we call an equation worked out, you do do tapping. So mm. um, you tap it out over the head and the heart. So, so that's what body talk is, and mm. it's a, a wonderful modality. Mm. Yeah. Sounds amazing. Um, now, finally, if you had one tip um, for day-to-day -day wellness and feeling good, what would it be? Breathe. Mm. Breathe and move. Mm. The body hears everything that the mind says, so if we are moving and breathing on purpose, mm. our thoughts will flow from that. Brilliant. Thank you, Kush. You're welcome. <laughs> well, I hope you enjoyed my chat with Kush as much as I enjoyed talking to her. If you'd like to find out more about her and her clinic, you can find her online at kushreed.co.nz. You can also visit the podcast episode notes page on my website. I'll have the full transcript of our chat there and you can also get her contact details from the page. So today I'm talking about my own project and the project, as you probably remember, is to illustrate my second novel. Now, the difference is here that my novel isn't a children's book, so it's a little bit different to be illustrating an adult novel, and it's not a comic or it's not anything like that, so it's kind of sitting in its own little genre. But that's all right. I'm really doing it because I love both writing and painting, and more and more I'm seeing the story come up in my artworks. So... What I was reflecting on one or two episodes ago was that with my writing process, I write and I see what happens, but when I was reviewing the first draft of my novel, which is the second novel, I just had a sense that something was missing, and then I kept going into the studio and finding bits of artwork that kind of represented to me what was missing. So I've been seeing the story pop up in my painting. So what I've been saying previously is, is it's probably because the subconscious works with visual language and the conscious works with spoken or written language so I think because I am an intuitive writer and artist some of the stories coming through intuitively in the artwork which is fantastic but it's just a matter of capturing it so just a reminder of the things that I'm looking to achieve really kind of as a as an artist really in my practice and through the stories that I'm writing which is an exploration of sound and language and perception so I think my books at the moment are at the very early stage of that so I'm kind of finding my way and I wanted to share this with you to make you feel also confident that you can also just experiment and just start anywhere that you can in order to find your own way. I think we all have this fear of things having to be perfect, of not being able to start on something because we don't have a clear vision of how it's going to finish. 
And my encouragement here is that the creative process and doing a creative project is a journey of discovery. It's actually good to not have a clear idea of how it's going to finish because it gives you time to deepen into it, to experiment, to explore and to find out what you've got inside you. So Mine is still rough, but I'm sharing it anyway, because as I said, I want to encourage you to just get stuck into it. Don't worry about being perfect. Don't worry about being good. Do it because you've got something to say or something that you want to explore, something that you're interested in, and that's really good enough. So I hope that you'll find a way to get started. So my goals with exploring this are to be able to explore or show an approach to language, perception, and intelligence that focuses on our body's natural intelligence. Uh, show an approach to communication that values energetic transmissions that the body sends and receives, but which are locked out by our logical mind, which simply doesn't know what to do with the data and therefore discards it. So you may have heard this idea that the brain receives millions and millions of signals from all around us, but in actual fact, it cuts most of them out before they get to our consciousness, because otherwise we'd be overloaded and we couldn't cope. So what we see is only a small amount of the signals that are coming our way. So just something that I've been thinking about for a long time is actually, there's probably a lot that's getting blocked out because our mind thinks that we're not gonna be able to cope or understand with the signals. And there's potentially lots of signals that are coming through that we're just not able to access. But if our brain can't access it, or if our brain is blocking these signals out, that's not to say that our body is blocking these signals out. So I think that the brain and the body have different perception roles and that the body can perceive energy where the brain will just block it out. So if the body can perceive energy and it can receive energetic signals, how do those signals rise up through our consciousness to find us? So that's what I'm exploring. And I think it's really going to be through exploring frequency, vibration, and the ability for intelligence to be transferred as a sound wave that our subconscious mind is capable of decoding and somehow feeding up to us. So the artwork that I am sharing today is one called Mocaine Receiver. Mocaine being one of the breeds of races that I'm exploring in my novel. They are the ones that have left the planet of Arm. They've gone and they've found a new frequency to live in. But that frequency is much more open in terms of being able to see energetic transmissions happening in the air. So what I do, and you'll see this if you go to the episodes notes page, you'll see about four or five sketches. And essentially, those sketches have just had nothing to do with anything while I've been doing them. So they're just things that I've been fiddling around with. I'll come in and I'll paint a bunch of different things in the studio in any particular painting session. And then somehow they kind of make their way to having a place near each other. And then I take little bits of one and little bits of the other and I, I photograph them and then I take them into Photoshop and then I start to layer them. So this current illustration includes a a foresty looking background. Uh, you'll see my circles are appearing here. It could be something like a sun, but in actual fact, the character, just a simple one, but has got these little circles floating around him. And they are just a really quick, sketchy exploration of what could those sound molecules look like if they're in the ether and if our body's ready to interact with them to source energy from other realms. Maybe that's what they look like. I mean, I have no idea. I'm just, you know, it's just an exploration, really. It's a really gradual process because the paintings have no connection to the story when I'm actually doing the painting. 
it's a matter of going back and forth between the story and the paintings and the sketches and the doodles to see what could fit together to resemble something. So this has finally come together and I've just been thinking, mm, oh, I can see that the landscape looks right, the colours look right. These are very much my colours, pinks and oranges and, and so on. And I think I just need to figure out who this character is. So is this a character that actually has a role in the story currently? And I finally have realised it's Key, and he's one of the characters that has been, been held with his grandfather underground by one of the other characters. And they have been held underground because they won't tell another person about the secrets of how you step between the walls of the world and migrate to another frequency. But one of the characteristics that came up through a sketch was that he was blind, so he has a mask over one part of his face. So I've now just realised that actually if this is key, that mask needs to be added. So that's probably the last thing I'll probably add to this illustration. Before I kind of just let it sit there and let the story finish before I do anything more. So there's definitely more that I can do in Photoshop here. It's really just a fairly rough composition. But anyway, check out the episode's notes page, have a look, and that will give you an idea of what I'm doing. So as part of sharing with you my creative practice and the creative project that I'm working on, I wanted to share with you a few things that I believe. Colour is everything. Inspiration is everywhere. Communing with nature should be a daily practice. Walking puts everything into perspective. Art happens when you let it breathe. Spirit will find you anywhere that you're open to it. Teachers arrive in many forms when you open yourself up to learning and gratitude is free. So thank you for being with us today. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Next time on the creativity front, I'll be talking about sense checking, reflection and resistance. My podcast chat is with yoga teacher and wellness coach, Suze Stokes. And on the productivity front, I'm gonna be talking about how you can define success for your own creative project. So see you then. If you're interested to know more about my creative practice, including artworks, books, magazines, and my schedule for workshops and courses in 2022, visit my website, jordanharcourthughes.com. <laughs>